Hey Geeks, Adam here, welcoming you to another Wizards Half episode. Yes, here we are with mini episode 33.5, just trying to get into all the stuff we didn't have a chance to cover in issue 33 of Wizard. And boy, there is plenty to discuss, let me tell you. So let's get right into it for the top 10 comics of April 1994. Now, in the number one spot, we have profit number one, but they're also calling it profit number 4A? It's kind of confusing. The artist is Dan Panosian, the writer is Rob Liefeld, okay? But what it explains here is that Extreme Studios, in a little publicity stunt, had Stephen Platt draw the cover for less than 20% of the copies of profit number four. The retailers, they were actually pretty upset because Stephen Platt was so popular from Moon night which yes is still on the list and then he was going to be coming over starting with profit number five so everybody wanted it but the retailers were kind of mad because there were so few to sell and as a result the price is getting really high at this time so it is the number one book but the number two book might surprise you yes it is beavis and butthead number one. These licensed comics that Marvel would do, whether it was Red and Stimpy or Beavis and Butthead, whoever would have thought that this would be the super popular title that it became. Uh, it's interesting here, though, because it says that Beavis and Butthead has a popular cult status TV show behind it, giving it a mass market appeal most titles don't enjoy. This mass market appeal results in sales to the non-core collected group, which causes an added aftermarket desirability among core group collectors. I guess we'll do both. Yeah, it's interesting there. Now, again, this list really is changing. You know, Michael and Steven were asking for some variety. Well, number three is Lady Death number one with art by Stephen Hughes and written by Brian Polito. So this is interesting. I want to find out what Wizard has to say about this. Even comic fans standing out in left field didn't notice this book at first. In a time when retailers have to be mighty careful about the products they order, Lady Death number one was ordered very lightly. Thanks to her small but growing legion of fans attracted by her evil Ernie appearances, the book was snatched up quicker than a ring-ding at a Weight Watchers meeting. <laughs> yes, 90s humor. What helped make this book such a hot commodity is its full chromium cover depicting the very shapely Lady Death, who's tied with that vertigo chick for the coolest embodiment of death. So yeah, I didn't realize that Lady Death number one was a chromium cover, too. And it's interesting, too, you actually don't see her body on the cover. So if you wanted to say it was some cheesecake factor or bad girl factor, at this point, all you see is her cool hair and a big bloody sword, so apparently that was selling. Now, number four is X-Men number 30, and all you X-Men fans, I'm sure, recall and have this issue. It's one of the few that I collected back in the day. The Jean Grey and Scott Summers marriage issue. Yes, they had their wedding, and everybody was dressed up in their best at the X-Mansion. Now, number five, of course, it had to be Marvel's number one by Alex Ross and Kurt Busiek. Yeah, so obviously this was like a big big, big deal, and it only got more revered over time. And so, yeah, this is one of those things 
that, again, they say here, even though the series is rapidly coming to a close, a sequel is already in the works, dubbed Marvels 2. Whereas Marvels spotlighted the birth of the Marvel superhero, 2 will depict the rise of the vigilante anti-hero. So I actually checked with Kurt Busiek on Twitter about this. I said, did this ever come out? And he basically said it was kind of split between two different titles that Marvel ultimately did put out, but it was never under the Marvel's moniker. Now, number six, we have Moon Knight 55, and of course it has been covered ad nauseum. Wizard is just as tired of it as Steven and Michael were, so this is pretty hilarious because they say, so to fill up this space, here's a list of our top ten favorite professional wrestlers. In no particular order, Ric Flair, Brett Hitman Hart, Big Van Vader, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Kurt Mr. Perfect Henning, Barry Windham, The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, we like good guys and bad guys, and last but certainly not least, Hawk and Animal, The Awesome Road Warriors. Ooh, what a rush. That was just me adding that in there. Now, getting back to X-Men, of course, Wolverine 75, where Wolverine gets his adamantium ripped out by Magneto, and I will tell you that coming up in issue 35, there is a whole discussion of Wolverine, what is his actual origin, this was long before we got the official origin that some liked, some didn't like, so if you're a Wolverine fan, get ready to tune in for episode 35. Now, something we are going to be talking about more in depth in episode 34, speaking of previews, is Green Lantern number 50, so this is Hal Jordan's last appearance as Green Lantern before he goes full parallax and everything gets out of control here where he's kind of gone and they open the door to a new Green Lantern. So yeah, we're going to discuss that in depth. And in fact, we're going to have Steven, who is a major fan of all the Green Lantern stuff during this era, is going to provide in episode 34.5 his review of the Emerald Twilight Saga in the early days of Kyle Rayner. So again, if you're a fan, you're going to want to tune in for that. Moon Knight number 60 is at the number 9 spot. And uh, yeah, this was the final issue ever of Moon Knight at this period, and it was also the last issue that Stephen Platt was drawing before he was heading over to do profit at Image. Finally, in the number 10 spot, I couldn't be more thrilled about it, and I will just give you a preview. It moves up the list very quickly. It is Gen 13 number 1. So here is what Wizard had to say about it. This is another one of those books that sold extremely well, thanks to early, make that a capital E, promotions and ads. I might add, that was mostly in Wizard. This book had a good deal of advanced publicity. The first ad for what was then Gen X, the name was changed due to a conflict with Marvel, showed up way back in Wizard number 23. There's been a great deal of anticipation building for the release of this book, hence the enormous amount of sales activity it spurred upon its release. In case you're curious, Wizard 33 marks the return of Image Comics to the top 10. The last time Image titles appeared in this listing was way back in Wizard number 25. Congrats, Image. Yeah, I didn't even realize as I was going through this list that none of these books except for Prophet and Gen 13 were Image where there was a time where it felt like yeah it was dominating so pretty fantastic Gen 13 get ready for your rise to superstardom and those are the top 10 comics of April 1994 and speaking of comics reviews Michael finally got a chance to read Madman Superman Hullabaloo yes a three issue miniseries that I sent him and he is going to provide you his review Right now! This week in Kennedy's Corner. (music) 
what I'm reading is the crossover event of all crossover events. It is the like multi-dimensional universal type of story where Superman and Madman crossover in the Superman Madman Hullabaloo. So I'll be perfectly honest with you. I have not gotten through all three issues yet. I am in the middle or near the end of issue two. It's a little boring. I'm not going to lie. It's very boring. The first issue, essentially what happens is Madman crosses through dimensions into the DC universe. And at the same time as he's crossing over, Superman is sort of in the same exact space. The coincidence is just far beyond what I could even comprehend. But they pass through each other and sort of become an amalgam of one another. So parts of Superman's powers and Madman's powers kind of blend together and they fall back into opposite universes. So Superman's mind and some of his abilities go into Madman's universe and all of Superman's looks and some of his powers stay here in the DC universe in Metropolis. And very, very conveniently, all of Madman's friends find where he lands perfectly, and Superman, he lands first at like a gas station. Superman, with Madman's mind, it's very, very convoluted, meets some guy who kind of directs him where to go to go to Metropolis. He gets into Metropolis, there's some sort of guy with a weird goatee who's got super strength and invulnerability, but didn't know he had it five seconds earlier, gets hit by a car, and Lois Lane magically appears, and Madman kind of explains that he's not sure where he is, Superman kind of tries to figure out why he's in this other universe, but looks like a Frankenstein monster. The second issue, truthfully, as far as I've been in, nothing has happened, other than the fact that Superman somehow starts to figure out how to cross back over, but then they need to get Madman in that exact same spot where Superman was and sort of blend together again. That's about as far as I've gotten in this story. It's not really that epic. It's a little boring, or a lot boring. The art is really cool. I do like the art a lot. It's very colorful. The characterization of Superman in particular is very George Reeves, like, 1950s style. Yet Lois Lane is more snarky and modern 90-ish style Lois Lane. I couldn't say much more about it. It's it's just kind of funny seeing Superman's face, but not being the characterization of Superman, being this, like, madman characterization, where he's kind of, like, aloof or magoo, I guess you could say. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going to try to finish it. It's, it's just very slow, and it hasn't really grabbed my attention. And when I initially saw the imagery of how they blended together, it's a little gross and weird and it kind of checked me out for about a couple days and then I picked it back up over the weekend and it seems fine it's funny at times it's just not really grabbing my attention and that's what I'm reading hey everyone it's Steven obviously this is the Jack Kirby tribute episode he had died before the publication of this book and there's wizard looks back on the creations of Jack Kirby now it's funny because right now I'm listening to a book on tape of Danny Fingeroth's biography of Stan Lee. So I'm hearing a lot about this era in comic book writing and you know these stories. So it, the article goes, Jack Kirby made many lasting contributions to the field of comic storytelling in his 56 year career. And one of the most significant was the body of characters that he created alone or in partnership with Joe Simon or Stan Lee. Kirby invented over 450 characters at Marvel Comics, DC Comics, 
and numerous other publishers. Can you name all 450? Go. Okay, how many did you get? I got like 20. Okay, one of his earliest inventions is still one of the most recognizable characters in comics. Captain America made his debut in 1941 when the United States was preparing to enter World War II. The captain and his sidekick Bucky protected the American dream by foiling Nazi spies and saboteurs. Their deadliest foe was the first Red Skull, another Simon and Kirby creation who premiered in Captain America comics number one. Doesn't get much bigger than Captain America. It goes on to say that Kirby started writing westerns and crime comics when superhero comics fell out, but he returned to Marvel in the early 60s to help usher in a new age of superheroes. This time teamed with editor-writer Stan Lee, Kirby created Fantastic Four, the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics. I think this podcast has done a great job of highlighting how much I love Fantastic Four, and especially the Stanley and Jack Kirby run on the Fantastic Four. And, you know, my goodness, is there a more perfect union of writer and artist than the Fantastic Four? It's most likely, I think, in my opinion, the greatest writer and artist collaboration in comic book history. That's my take. What's your take? So it says the Fantastic Four and other Lee Kirby creations from Marvel, which included the Hulk, Thor, Ant-Man, Iron Man, and many others were depicted with a level of characterization that was unprecedented in comics at the time. Unlike the heroes who preceded them, these characters were real people with real problems. He goes on to, you know, talk about the creation of superhero teams like the Avengers and the X-Men, as well as kind of the legendary villains, specifically Doctor Doom, Magneto, Galactus. And then, you know, it talks about his work with DC, where he expanded on some of these themes, especially the Galactus and Silver Surfer cosmic mythology with the new gods, Forever People, and Mr. Miracle, which are known as the fourth world titles. You know, these are books I've always wanted to pick up I'm most familiar with them from the Superpowers toy line. I was kind of excited that DC was going to do a movie about it, but, you know, that fell through. The DC movies always find a way to disappoint you. But yes, so, you know, this article wraps up. When asked shortly before his death how he was able to conceive of such an astonishing variety of characters, Kirby responded, It is just that I like creating. I couldn't help it. It was something that I truly enjoyed doing. And what more powerful way to sum up a life than that? Because this was a guy who, if you know, you can see the pictures online of his little workbench that he kept in his house on Long Island. And from that workbench, he created entire worlds, entire characters that not only have lasted through today, are bigger today than they've ever been. Certainly in my lifetime, the Marvel Universe has never been more of a known worldwide beloved brand than right now. And so much of this stems from his mind. And, you know, we're not just talking about Iron Man, Thor, Captain America. You see the stuff that's coming out. I mean, first of all, Black Panther was not just about a character. It was about an entirely different world that Jack Kirby completely created. You can go back to those early Fantastic Four comics with Black Panther, and it's all laid out there. It's just there. He did this. Uh, And now with the Eternals, you get to see more of that world, you know, and as the Marvel Universe goes on, I can't wait to see their Fantastic Four movie. I'm sure it will definitely pay homage to the Lee and Kirby comics more than the previous adaptations, except for the amazing Ole Sassoon 1994 Fantastic Four movie, which is very close to, to the original comics. It just didn't have the budget to explore the world. But yes, that's what we have going on 
in the creations of Jack Kirby. All right, guys, Adam back here with another top 10 list. Ooh, yes, it is time for the top 10 heroes and villains of the month. So, I feel like not much on this list has changed, maybe just some of the positions. Because at number one, we have Spawn. At number two, we have Spider-Man. At number three, we have Batman. At number four, we have Pit. Now, was Pit on the list previously? I don't know that that was the case. And he's looking pretty ugly here, like half his face is all burned off and scarred. They picked a pretty gross picture there. Wolverine, of course. Gambit, once again, remains on the list, so popular from the X. X-Men TV series. I know I was a fan because of that. Sabretooth? They say, what an unhappy little mutant Sabretooth. Not only was he horribly abused as a child, which caused him to grow up to be a cold-blooded mass murderer, but the only place where he might find salvation, the X-Mansion, is full of them pesky X-Men, all of whom hate him. This fuzzy fellow just can't catch a break. Throw in the fact that he's a hot, uh, he's a blonde photocopy of Wolverine, and you're guaranteed to get one popular mutant. But again, is that a fair trade-off? But yeah, so the fact that Sabretooth was a part of the X-Men at this time when I felt like, you know, I just knew him as Wolverine's greatest nemesis. You gotta shake things up every once in a while, right? Next up is Ninjack in the number 8 spot and Superman in the number 9 spot. And finally, in the number 10 spot, does this mean he's heading off the list and Michael and Steven can finally jump for joy? Yes, Prime is number 10. Now, I kind of just ran through the top 10 list there. Why? Because the one thing that's been neglected, I feel like, in our mini-episodes ever since it appeared, was my favorite section. When I would read Wizard, I would go to the Homemade Heroes section, I would look at the Toying Around section, and then I would go to see who was the Mort of the Month, okay? And I think Michael maybe just didn't have as much familiarity or experience with Mort of the Month as I did, but this month's Mort of the Month is Mindworm. Here's what Wizard had to say. Whoa, talk about your cabeza muy grande. This guy must have a tough time getting through doorways and finding a fedora that fits nice and snug. This guy's power is... was? Did the Scourge kill this guy? Uh, the ability to leech strength from those around him. I guess that doesn't allow him to absorb taste and clothing. Just check out the snappy duds on this monkey. With the crazy cutoffs, the Partridge family tank top, and the weenie-esque sandals? He's all set for a guest star stint on the love boat or fantasy island. Let's just hope Marvel takes it easy on us and leaves this megala... Megala... This mega meloned malcontent, whoo, tried to say that five times fast, neatly tucked away in the Mort character history books. So yeah, Mort of the Month, man. I learned about so many obscure characters, many of whom I feel like these days have been redeemed and rebooted and given a, a fresh coat of paint, as they say, and now they're super dangerous. But maybe some of them still continue to be a joke. Well, that's all we got for the top 10 heroes and villains of the month. And now we're looking at this month in history.
historic comic events that took place in the month of May. So in 1917, Bill Everett, the Golden Age great, was born in Massachusetts. Everett created Marvel's first superhero, the Submariner, at the age of 22. Man, at 22, he wasn't doing anything. Could have been creating the Submariner. I was like working at a movie theater. 1939, Detective Comics number 27. You all know what that is. This issue features the first appearance of Batman and Commissioner Gordon in a six-page adventure entitled The Case of the Chemical Syndicate. 1962, Fantastic Four number four. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby continue to develop the Marvel Universe by reintroducing the Submariner into the comic book world. Hey, thanks, Bill Everett. Uh, 1978, oh, this is great. The Amazing Spider-Man TV show, uh, ends an unsuccessful two-month run as a regular live-action series on CBS. The show returned that fall as a series of special TV movies. I like this show. It gets a hard time. But let me tell you something. There was not a lot of live-action Marvel going on when we were kids. If I saw the Amazing Spider-Man TV show on, I watched it. It was good. 1988, Aliens number one. After testing the waters with a Godzilla one-shot, Dark Horse starts its successful line of movie tie-ins by releasing Aliens number one. First series. Finally, 1991 saw the, oh my God, Michael's favorite, Magnus Robot Fighter number one. The Valiant Universe begins with the publication of its first superhero title. And history remembered that one more than anything. Thanks, Magnus Robot Fighter. And now to you, Adam. And now to you, Michael. Because now it's time for Hunk and Babe of the Month. I'm too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. So sexy it hurts. Oh yeah! Well, this time around, our babe is persuasion. Per persuasion. I, I uh, number one thing I will tell you just to start off here: they a hundred percent just stole a Cindy Crawford modeling picture because this face, this is Cindy Crawford. I mean, I don't know how they got away with this. I know that later on in the nineties, this was a major problem, but let's take a read here. Thong, thong, thong. What a neat sounding word. Just saying it is fun. You can even use it as the lyrics for Come on, go with me. That old song by the Dell Vikings, later remade by the Beach Boys. Thong, 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 Wow, it's hard to believe I get paid for this. Cisco basically got his idea for the thong song from this issue of Wizard, huh? Interesting. Anyway, Persuasion here, who wears a thong very well, has a very cool ability, but it's totally redundant and wasted on her. She's got the mutant power to control other people and bend them to her will. And she got totally gypped. I mean, with looks like hers, she can get anything she wants anyway. Except maybe a tan. How do you tan a purple bod? Okay, so this is weird. So they're saying she's purple. I maybe see a little bit of a purple tint in this picture, especially in the hair, but the skin definitely does not look purple. And there is a lot of skin here. She's just in a bikini near a waterfall but they haven't explained at all what group she's from what comic she's did so now i feel like i gotta look this up i gotta find out who is persuasion because it seems like she would be part of i don't know like some random now comic series or something so let's look this up here 
Oh, wow. Now, I did not expect this. Guys, you've heard of the Purple Man? Well, this is the Purple Woman, and she is actually a mutant in Marvel Comics. Her first appearance was Alpha Flight 41 in 1986. Now, I don't know if she mainly appeared in Alpha Flight, and that's why I know nothing about her, but it's interesting because this is an idea where she is obviously directly connected to the Purple Man. I mean, she's Purple Man's daughter, but I've, I've never heard of this character before. Has she come back? It seems like she'd be due, but there you have it. Persuasion. Or Sidney Crawford. But hey, who do you have for our hunk of the month, Annie Flowers? The hunk of the month is Deathblow. Let's circumvent the more obvious jokes we could make about this character's name and instead delve into what suicidal manic depressives like Deathblow here would do at the beach. Bury people up to their hairlines in the sand? No. Build sand crypts? No. Chum the water? No, 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 no. Why, when dark, depressed, moody comic book characters head off to the beach, it's nothing but hours and hours of frisbee, volleyball, and playing with pails and shovels. One wonders, though, with only two issues of Deathblow, we won't get into his darker image's appearance. Oops, I mean appearance. Why would he need a vacation? And what we have here is a sandy, muscly hunk holding a teeny tiny little pail. It's kind of cute, actually. Gotta love it. Looks like he's getting ready to play volleyball. Good for him. I used to play volleyball in high school. I'll take this guy on. Thanks, Annie. And hey, till next time. Ooh, stay saucy. Here we go with one of my favorite sections something I always used to flip to as a kid, the wizard profile. And this month we're looking at a kind of eccentric comic book creator named Hart D. Fisher, who was the founder of Boneyard Press. At this point in history, he was just 24 years old. His Dark Angel miniseries uh, was hitting stores in May of that year. And what he was most known for is very controversial, something I find gross, the Jeffrey Dahmer unauthorized biography of a serial killer, which turns out got him sued by the victims of Jeffrey Dahmer, their families, for all profits from the book, legal costs, emotional duress, and to have the book banned from stores. Uh, yeah, that's a lot. That's not cool. Don't write a book about Jeffrey Dahmer and make him look neat. Who wants that? Not cool, Hart D. Fisher. And, you know, coming up in Wizard episode number 34, we do talk about him in more detail because around this time he made kind of an infamous appearance on the Sally Jesse Raphael show. So that's something to look forward to. I make my living in daytime talk shows, so I'm a mini expert in the field. And yes, look forward to that. So they ask him, what was your first comic book read? He says it was probably Archie or Little Devil. Okay, I don't know how you read Archie or Little Devil and go to Jeffrey Dahmer, but okay. Favorite comic of all time was Master of Kung Fu. As an adult, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. What a shock. Comics he's currently reading are Sandman Mystery Theater, Hellblazer, Sanctuary, and whatever Frank Miller is currently doing. He's a Frank Miller fan. Uh, Great. Good for him. His favorite comic book character is Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu. All right. That's pretty cool. Really cool. The uh, the person he'd most like to meet, Clint Eastwood, because he takes chances with the 
roles he chooses. Does he? He takes chances, Clint Eastwood? I just feel like it's the same grizzled old guy over and over again. Am I wrong? Tell me if I'm wrong. Please find me on Twitter and tell me that Clint Eastwood just doesn't play grizzled old guys. Uh, yeah. Who would you like to meet? I'm asking you. I'm turning the, you know, I'm turning the microphone around. Person you'd most like to meet. Me? I don't know. Bud Court? Really like Harold and Maude. That's a good movie. Anyway, we're moving on from this. Superpower you'd most like to have. Telepathy. Okay, there you go. Favorite munchie at 2 a.m. He says popcorn with lots of butter and salt. That's not good for you. Uh, his favorite television show. I mean, this is very indicative of the time. The Simpsons. Is the last good movie he saw was Shortcuts. Really good movie. Robert Altman movie. And finally, why do you read Wizard? And he says to keep up with what's happening in the industry. All right. Well, that's Hart D. Fisher. If there are any Hart D. Fisher fans out there, let us know. And that does it for our mini-episode. Yes, here we go, off into the wild blue yonder, getting ready for episode 34. Man, another great cover. We just had a fun time recording that one the other night. Man, I hope you enjoy it. Of course, check us out on social media, at Wizards Comics on Twitter, at Wizards underscore comics on Instagram. You can find us over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Wizards Comics. So much more to come. There is a lot of content there that we continue to add plus we're just kind of giving sneak peeks and previews of what's to come some special wizard collectibles that nobody else is going to see for quite a while we are always adding to the archives so until next time keep your books bagged and boarded